It's never a straight line with you, Jedi, is it? Hey, welcome back to Screen Crush. I'm Ryan Airy, and let's talk about the first two episodes of Ahsoka. I have some pretty strong thoughts on this show. Mostly, I think it's pretty good, but I do have some problems. And a little later, I'm going to be joined by two fellow Star Wars nerds, Heather Antos and Megan O'Keefe. But first, here is my take. Well, you gotta have an opinion. Now, my issues with this show stem mostly from the problems I have with Star Wars Rebels, and also some really bad things that I see happening in other Star Wars shows. But first, I want to celebrate the many, many good things about this show. This show really does feel like a continuation of the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. In one scene, it is literally animation brought back to life. So this show did, in a way, bring me back to my childhood, just eating cereal and watching cartoons. The entire opening sequence is awesome. The late Ray Stevenson has been underused by Hollywood for years. I mean, remember, this is how he left the MCU. Who are you? What have you done with Thor? And in this opening, he gives the perfect blend of ferocity. We are no Jedi. But also tenderness. Feel her. Don't be ashamed. There's so few Jedi left. I love the mysteries built into this show, like who are these two? Where's Thrawn? Why did Ahsoka walk away from Sabine? We also don't know who is even in this other galaxy. And it is very rare for me to not have any idea what's going to happen in Star Wars. I'm a prophet! What? Prophet! Prophet! I prophesy! I have sight! I see! And I have no idea where this show is going. That is very exciting. I thought they were going to be exploring the unknown regions of the galaxy, tying into the Sith cult from Rise of Skywalker, the Chiss, and all the stuff that's touched on in the Thrawn books. But now, we are going to a whole new galaxy, where there are no Jedi, no Sith, and this opens up so many stories for other creators to tell. And we don't know how the new galaxy connects to the Night Sisters, to Thrawn, the Purgil. I mean, as somebody who devours the canon, this is like endless desserts to me. I have no idea what any of those words you just said mean. Yeah, Doug, you're right. The composer of this series, Kevin Kiner, has been putting together an amazing body of work for years, scoring shows like Clone Wars, Bad Batch, Rebels, and several other live-action series. But this is the first time he's getting to score a live-action Star Wars. I love how he weaves in the old themes of Rebels and the Clone Wars throughout this show. And apart from Ray Stevenson, the rest of the cast is great, especially Natasha Lou Bordizo as Sabine. Sabine has always been my favorite character from Rebels. In fact, I always kind of wish she was the protagonist of that show. And now we get to see the spotlight on her, dealing with grief, facing her fear of failure, and finally resolving that cliffhanger from Rebels. Also, you guys, we are getting to see the post-return of the Jedi era. The Mandalorian like played around the edges of the galaxy, but now we are at the center. Hera is on home one, Akbar's ship from Return of the Jedi. The various threads of the Star Wars galaxy from the prequels and the Clone Wars are finally coming together with the original trilogy. And the lightsaber fights in this show are beautifully choreographed. Like, the prequels were very precisely choreographed, and the original trilogy were kind of raw, but the fights in this series kind of lands somewhere in between. I'm actually really looking forward to hearing what Heather Antos has to say about that because she is a huge nerd about fighting styles. Mmm. Are you sure you should be eating junk food cereal like that? Oh, but this isn't junk food, it's Magic Spoon, the same cereal that Star-Lord was eating in Guardians 3's post credit scene. Magic Spoon tastes like all the cereals from my childhood, but it has no gluten, no soy, and there are zero grams of sugar. Mmm. But most importantly, they taste so good. You can build your very own variety box from cocoa, fruit, frosted, peanut butter, cookies and cream, and maple waffle flavors. Plus, there are other awesome flavors, including honey nut, blueberry muffin, cinnamon roll, and birthday cake. Now, I am not kidding when I say how high quality this cereal is. I mean, listen to this. We have zero grams of sugar, 
14 grams of protein, only four net grams of carbs in each serving, plus only 140 calories, plus it's very high in protein. But most importantly, guys, it's just fun. Like we may be grownups, but like live the grown-up life that you always wanted to. Eat fun cereals and watch cartoons. I am not going back to regular cereal and Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if it's not for you, they will refund your money and you can part ways as friends. So thanks again to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this video. Click the link below or scan the QR code on the screen and use the code ScreenCrush for $5 off your variety pack or go to magicspoon.com slash screencrush today. Now back to Ahsoka. I want to talk about some of my reservations with this series. For one, that Sabine is now suddenly a Jedi Padawan. Like the show Rebels never gave us any inkling that she is even remotely force sensitive. In fact, her lack of force sensitivity is what made it so hard for Kanan to train her to use the Darksaber. Your thoughts, your actions, they become energy. They flow through the crystal as well and become a part of the blade. So now we have like this whole other backstory to catch up with between Sabine and Ahsoka and their relationship. I mean, the last time we saw Ahsoka, apart from the Mandalorian, she was inside the world between worlds, where presumably she sat out the Galactic Civil War. Then she returns in time to train Sabine for just a little while, and then she gives up. Like all of this is just adding backstory that was never set up in the show Rebels. Dude, I am so lost right now. And that is actually, Doug, the real problem with this show. It's season five of Star Wars Rebels. Rebels was a kid's show made for Disney XD, which a lot of people didn't even have on cable, and a lot of casual Star Wars fans still haven't seen the show. So like, if you've only seen the movies and maybe The Mandalorian, then this show makes no sense to you. Like, there is a lot of lore and backstory to consume with this show. And I am not a huge fan of a lot of the Force lore that Dave Filoni introduced in Clone Wars and Rebels. Like, anytime we try to get too specific with the Force and try to define it in any way, like the whole thing on Mortis in the Clone Wars with the father, the sister, and the brother, and then how that mural shows up in Rebels and leads to the world between worlds, I don't even like the world between worlds that much. Like, it's just, it's introducing too many specific things to the Force. The Force should be kind of basic, kind of generic. We should be able to reinterpret the Force as whatever higher power we define it to be. So the more we explore the Force with things like midi-chlorians or the world between worlds, the more it demystifies this Force that binds the galaxy together. And I'm worried that's going to happen with this show. But this show is in danger of being more complicated than The Mandalorian Season 3. Like, even the villain, Morgan Elsbeth. Like, I guess you don't have to know the full history of the Night Sisters how they relate to Darth Maul and how Dooku wiped them out, but I do think that you have to know that they are at least dark side witches. And this is confusing for casual fans, even though the first two episodes do a lot of standing around and explaining things. An ancient temple built by my aunt. You never made things easy for me. Anakin never got to finish my... Pathway to Peridia. The children of the Jedi Temple call it that. It comes from old stories. Like all of this when a simple live action flashback of Ezra, Thrawn, and the Purgil would have gone a long way. So the result of all this is a show that at times feels very lethargic and stilted. Like the scene where Sabine is reading data from the droid's head. It should be exciting. There's a ticking clock. I'm pulling the plug. Oh, wait. We've recently seen Sabine screw up and lose the map, so we're not that sure of her capabilities. But all through this scene, like nobody seems worried. I mean, Ahsoka says, I'm not sure we have a minute. But she's standing very straight, arms crossed, and always seems to be just nonplussed. Now look, Star Wars fans know that this is because she is force sensitive and she would be able to sense the explosion seconds before it happened, but it does make for a pretty dull scene. Now compare that to this scene in The Force Awakens when Rey is trying to keep the Falcon from exploding. It's the motivator. Grab me a Harris wrench, check in there. How bad is it? 
If we want to live, not good. Now look, we know the Falcon isn't going to explode. They're not going to kill off all these new characters they introduced. But J.J. Abrams direct this scene with so much kinetic energy. It's so fun because there's also character stakes in this scene. Finn is trying to cover up that he's lying to Rey and he makes BB-8 a co-conspirator. Get us there as fast as you can. I'll drop you to the nematode. And for some reason, those same character stakes are absent in this scene in Ahsoka. I mean, this is a former apprentice trying to impress her former master and we don't get any of that behind the scenes character stuff. Like in a lot of scenes in Ahsoka, it feels like we are in this scene where things are going to happen. And then we will go into this next scene where other things will happen. There's very little interplay or chemistry between the characters. Now, maybe this is because Dave Filoni has mostly worked in animation where it's harder to get your cast to improvise and riff like Abrams can do with live action work. Did you just praise J.J. Abrams over Dave Filoni? Hey man, Abrams is a great director. He's great with actors, but he's a bad Star Wars writer. Somehow Palpatine returned. Are you ever gonna let that go? You know what? No, I'm not. And that is why we sell this Somehow Palpatine Return t-shirt at our merch store at ScreenCrushMerch.com. We also have lots of other fun merch like this Apprentice Lives t-shirt, the Hello There, the Classic Trilogy Original tee, and our brand new Prequel Apologist Thank You George shirt. We really appreciate all you guys making this channel a success and like keeping us fed. And shopping our merch store is a great way for you to help support the channel and nerd out with us. So thanks again for your support. Now back to Ahsoka. But the other thing here is Ahsoka is very different from the character that we have known in the Clone Wars and Rebels. Like this version of her is very stoic, like the Jedi were in the prequels. I do not believe the Sith could have returned without us knowing. The thing is though, that that was never really Ahsoka. Like even in the show Rebels, when she kind of took on this mentor role, Ashley Eckstein always put a lot of heart into this character. Ahsoka. Anakin. And maybe it's because Rosario Dawson is playing an older version of the character who's been through this transformation in the world between worlds, but for my money, she's just a little bit too stoic. And I think it would have been lovely if Ashley Eckstein could have played Ahsoka in live action, like how Clancy Brown got to play Ryder Azadi. And like, I love Rosario Dawson, but her version of Ahsoka just feels kind of flat to me. The Hollywood Reporter's Daniel Feinberg had a great review of the show where he said, it's frustrating how much Filoni and company have focused across three shows now on how perfectly Dawson embodies the look of Ahsoka without giving her any anything to do. But look, we are two episodes in. We have no idea where Rosario Dawson's going to take this character from here. I'm just giving you my opinion after two episodes. And again, I'm really just speaking for the people who do not follow the full Star Wars canon. There are Star Wars books and shows that are easy to step into, like Obi-Wan or Andor. And there are other shows that are for hardcore fans who have been wanting to see what happened to Ezra and Thrawn for years. I am very excited for where this show is going. As a Star Wars fan, I am having fun. But I thought the premiere was a bit of a slog at points. But that's just my take. Now I am thrilled to be joined here by two of the smartest and most knowledgeable Star Wars fans that I know. We have group editor of licensing at IDW, Heather Antos, and senior critic at The Decider, Megan O'Keefe. So Heather, I want to start with you. You heard my take on it, but what were your thoughts on this episode? I, I personally, like, as, as a Star Wars fan, as a Rebels fan, as an Ahsoka fan, I, I really loved getting to see these characters in live action. I loved... You know, that opening scene immediately made me feel like Raiders of the Lost Ark vibes mixed with, I just finished playing um, Jedi Survivor, uh, <laughs> got a lot of those uh, puzzle quest vibes. I was like, oh, I've done this one. I know how to solve this. Uh, and, and I loved all of that. Um, you know, Sabine, I thought they nailed her perfectly getting to see Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Hera. Like all of that is just, it's so cool to see these characters we've grown to love uh, be realized in, in live action. Having that been said, 
I, I'm very concerned for how people who are only watching the show because they watched Mando or because they watched Boba Fett and didn't, you know, haven't been spent the last decade plus watching Clone Wars and Rebels, um, how, how they're going to understand it. I, I said it to a friend. It's a, it's a show with a lot of required reading and a giant missing chapter from the syllabus. Now, the missing chapter you're talking about is the relationship between Sabine and Ahsoka, which, yeah, it was weird, like I said earlier, but... If it improves their character with this like master and apprentice dynamic, then I'm all for it. Megan, how about you? What were your thoughts on the episode? I feel like I'm very similar to, to you guys. Um, I personally really enjoyed it, but I saw a lot of flaws that, you know, a casual Star Wars fan or just someone who's curious about the character might be turned off. Um, there is a very slow, deliberate pace to the dialogue where there's almost a weird pause in between lines to make sure people got stuff, which could be annoying to some people. I actually know it was from friends who complained about it to me. Um, but the thing that is so strange at this show for me is it doesn't just take me back to watching Rebels or Clone Wars for the first time. It takes me back to like reading EU novels when I was a 13-year-old Star Wars geek, and it was not cool to like Star Wars, and we didn't know that the sequel trilogy would ever happen. But we had this lore and this expanded universe literally full of Jedi, full of you know different territories and Thrawn, and it felt like a show that was made for the weirdos like me. Not for the mainstream Star Wars fan, but for the really hardcore, locked-in folks um, who remember what it was like to be bullied for, I think, Star Wars. And um, yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe that Dave Filoni got to do this show, to be quite honest, when I watched the first two episodes. So follow-up question, Megan, as we're all like big Star Wars fans, is it too much lore to follow, like even for fans like us? It may be. I mean, again, like Heather was saying, you, it takes a lot of required me reading. Um, if you don't know the history of Ahsoka, you're not going to understand why it's important that she is, you know, partaking in this quest. If you don't know that Thrawn was one of the original baddies in the very first conceived sequel trilogy of novels for the films, you, you also might not get who is this weird blue guy that they're trying to chase. Like you have, it, it really is something that is for the diehards and maybe not for the casual viewer. Well, the problem with that is going to be when they have the film, because the film is going to be a culmination of all this. Like, if I go into this movie and I have to understand Mandalorian politics and why Boba Fett does crime and Ahsoka and the world between worlds and all this other stuff, and this is one thing where, like, okay, our friend Adam Lance Garcia likes to say that Star Wars is a restaurant. You can order whatever you want off the menu. So, like, Andor is one thing that you order off the menu, and Clone Wars and Rebels are something else, and that's fine. That's great. Personally, with my Star Wars, I think the more specific we get, the less interesting it is. Like, for instance, the Force, right? Beautiful, elegant thing. Midi-chlorians, a little too specific for people. So when we get into this felony stuff, and if you've been watching the video this long, I'm going to assume you know about like rebels and the world between worlds. When we get into all this felony stuff, it's the brother and the sister and the father and the balance and the getting Ahsoka's got the out. Is it getting too damn specific, Heather? For for even Star Wars fans, is it robbing us of the magic or is it expanding the lore for you? A bit of both, I think. A bit of both. I think I think you know. We've we've talked about this. I think every Star Wars conversation you and I have, and I I have no problem with how specific the lore is. I have no problem with introducing these new concepts. I have no issue with any of that. My issue lies in if I do not have the information or the context given to me within this show, within this framework, and you're not 
telling me where I need to go in order to get that framework. Um, you know, uh, it, 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 it's assuming you know that Ahsoka was in Rebels. It's assuming you know that all of this started in, in Clone Wars. It's assuming you've watched Mando, and we don't need to, to tell you that. And, and honestly, if an opening crawl was, you know, uh, previously on and, and tied together three different animated series, that would be a lot. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that's my fear with the upcoming movie is... You know, anything that's a movie that's a theatrical release, realistically, I should have all the context I need within within that movie. I shouldn't have to watch 27 television shows to, to understand that film. And, yeah, it's the same and problem the MCU is running into now. That's ex feeling like, feeling that's like homework, yeah. Exactly it. When they announced this, this movie that's going to wrap up all of these shows, that's exactly how I felt. It's going to be you know, Multiverse of Madness, where if you didn't watch X, Y, and Z television show or this other movie or whatever, you're going to be missing out on some key, key plot points. Now, that's not to say they can't do that successfully. They absolutely can. I think Ahsoka, this show in particular, is going to be a giant test of that because it is pulling from novels and to other cartoon shows and to other live action shows. You know, if, if they really land this, um, it will be a very impressive feat. Yeah, I was thinking a couple things they needed throughout. It could have been refilmed the flashbacks in live action, like of Ezra disappearing with Thrawn. Yeah, that would have worked really well for me. And also, um, somebody knew for Ahsoka to explain stuff to, besides Hera, besides these people who already have an affinity to it. Like, even Hu Yang, if Hu Yang is like, oh, what happened with Ezra? Well, Ezra was this Padawan, you know, and then you cut to some flashbacks, and, you know... They're expanding the scope of what Star Wars can be visually, so I think that cutting to some flashbacks while you're talking about it, like, Ryan Johnson broke that border, he can do that. Megan, what do you think? Is it too much lore right now? Like, where are you at as a fan sitting well, with this show? What's interesting is, as a fan, I'm like, give me that lore. I'm going to gobble it up. That's the buffet, <laughs> Star Wars buffet restaurant I'm for. However, the one thing I do want to say in Ezra's defense, maybe people don't know the specifics about Ezra and Hera and Chopper and all those folks, but one thing that I appreciated about the first two episodes that I had a problem with, with, say, Book of Boba Fett, is I understood the emotional you know drives of the yes i did on it is clear that ahsoka is trying to stop thrawn it is clear that morgan elspeth wants to find thrawn it is clear that sabine is there to find ezra um and it's clear that you know although uh balin skull and shinhati they want quote-unquote power there it's clear that there's a mystery to what kind of force users that they are that we're going to learn more about so i wasn't as worried about the direction of the character's goals with this as I was yeah. say, with Book of Boba Fett where I was like why does he want to be the you know the head of Tatooine I'm not quite sure oh, about God. that. God we had every every <laughs> week when we get together we'd be like so but why though? <laughs> why is he sleeping? What's going on? Well Megan yeah you know, that's the thing you're you're not only a Star Wars fan you're senior critic at the decider you mm -hmm judge things for a living essentially so as a tv show you're saying it, this show works for you i like it, attached, it definitely attached works i don't want to like compare and contrast to other star wars shows i don't think it's like the worst of the bunch i don't think it's the best of the bunch i give it like a b so far feather what do you think is a show is it is it really popping for you uh i think it's fine I, I think I think it's fine. I think I mean me personally, uh, as the world's biggest Thrawn 
fan, uh, was really bummed out that, that, you know, we're teasing Thrawn and making him a big deal that he's going to be in the show. And like, you can't even, you can't even give me like one shot behind his head, like that one from the trailer, (laughs) right? You can't even give me that in these first two. Um, so I was really bummed out by that. Uh, you know, like, like you said, I, I am bummed out, uh, about Ashley Eckstein, like I really, I I really hope we get a flashback of her as young Ahsoka in some capacity. If if all she gets, if if she gets nothing, first of all, we all riot. If, if but if she gets like an extra or just like here's Ashley, you know, and as a different character, like like she is why we love Ahsoka. Um, and and she I really, is Ahsoka. I mean, she is. She is I, who I, made made that character. Um, and I, I still look at Rosario Dawson, who I love, I love by the way. I yeah. love Rosario Dawson. I think she's great in everything. And her version of this character is a lot more stoic. And like yeah. I talked about earlier, she went into the world between worlds with her for Force Al. <laughs> we don't know, like, what the hell? Like, why she came out. But I do want to see those flashes of the Ahsoka from Rebels and Clone Wars. Yeah. Who, I don't know. I, I don't know if that is a choice that Rosario is making or if it's direction. Megan, what about you? Do you think as a lead, is she the same Ahsoka that you've fallen in love with all these years? I mean, I agree with you guys. That was my my one, you know, task member critique in my review was like, she seemed a little too stoked, a little too stilted. Um, And she was definitely, I think, shown up by Natasha Lou Bordizo, who really showed us the bean for me. And, you know, I feel like I have a piece that went up about, like, how Sabine is ironically kind of, like, the hero of the series. She's on the hero's journey, the Joseph Campbell hero's journey, where she refuses the call and then is pulled in. Mm -hmm. And it's Dawson playing her her mentor, her Obi-Wan, actually. So I'm I'm curious why they, you know, made that choice with... Oh, you disagree? I don't know. Oh, no, no, not not that. I was just like, I wasn't even thinking, like, she is on the hero's journey, but then I immediately went like, oh, God, does Ahsoka die then? Because that's, you know? Yeah, maybe Ahsoka is going to sacrifice herself for this newer generation of, you know... Look, okay, if there's anything Dave Filoni has proven, it's that Ahsoka cannot die. Ahsoka, (laughs) Ahsoka is basically a comic book character at this point. Like... If you want to know, like, we've got a video coming out about my problems with Ezra and all that. Like, I don't, I never liked there were other Jedi and a Padawan Jedi, basically right up until Luke appears. And the same thing goes with Ahsoka, where it would have just fit in the universe better if the Jedi would have slowly died out, if it would have been. But now we're on technicalities. We're on, like, well, Ahsoka was never actually a Jedi. Or Balin gave up the Jedi Order, you know? Like, I don't know. The, it, for me, every edition cheapens it just a little bit. I, I, that is one of my, my notes, um, and I said this to, to my partner while watching the show when, when they introduced Balin and, and his, his apprentice and, you know, oh, and now Sabine is apparently, you know, a Padawan and it, it, it makes Vader, it makes Luke, it makes Rey, it makes the Emperor all feel less special. It all mm-hmm. makes them feel a little less cool and a little less badass. What made th- those moments and those characters so cool is they were the only ones, you know? And and now it feels like every new show we're introducing, well, here's five new Force users right. that were here's just Here's a bunch of lightsabers. Out. Here's right. the Inquisitors. Here's these guys. Yeah, it's, right. it's a lot. It works in animation, but I don't know. We should be in a stripped down period. Yeah, it makes it makes the galaxy feel a whole heck of a lot smaller. Um, 
than than I think they really want it to be. Right. You know, we kind of overshadowed um, Ray Stevenson, mm-hmm. who is great in this. And Megan, you were talking earlier about getting into like the mystery of all this. And for me, one of the things I'm really digging about this show is that we don't know. I love any time in Star Wars, we don't know. We don't know who these guys are. We don't know why they have large lightsabers. We don't know what the hell Thrawn, why is there another galaxy? Are you like pumped for the next six episodes to see the story unfold? Is it like, is it like living out your EU dreams for you? Um, yeah, I think 100%. And I think, you know, Ray Stevenson is absolutely fantastic in this role. I think what he does that's very interesting is that he's not just a black and white villain. He's not just cruel. There's that comment that he makes at the end of episode two where he's like, well, it would be a shame if Ahsoka died because that's one less Jedi and it's one less interesting Force user out there. And that was fascinating to me as well because... Um, yeah. So, like, I think the fact that Ray Stevenson's character was sort of like a little soft on the idea like hey jedi aren't maybe that bad and i'm not a jedi but maybe like it makes things less interesting i'm very curious to learn more because it's not just he clearly to me is not a full-on sith um yet and i want to remind you guys that thrawn in the novels not really a villain he gets portrayed like as a, a baddie a big baddie during rebels but in the thrawn novels he says he regrets the loss of any life because all life is valuable. So everything he does, he always thinks is in the service of a greater good. Heather, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, and and uh, Balin's apprentice, I, I forget her her name escapes me right now. Shinhanti. Shinhanti. Um, like, there's there's a I have a big curiosity about her. Like every every moment we see her on screen, and and I props to the actress. Her 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 just expression with her eyes and her acting with her eyes, I think, tell a lot and do do a lot for me. But like there's there's an interesting curiosity of her about Sabine. There's an interesting curiosity of her, you know, about about Ahsoka and and their battle. Like I, in that Sabine fight, like Sabine Sabine doesn't know what she's doing with a lightsaber. Like like she could have taken her down in in two seconds, you know. And and mm-hmm. I'm just I'm so curious about her and what her arc is going to be in particular in this. I'm, I'm very curious. I think she's going to be his daughter. This uh, We've got a video coming out in a couple of days where we're going to talk about this, but I think that he survived the purge, fell in love, lost his wife, um, and now he's training his Force-sensitive daughter. And he's not quite a Sith. Like you said, he regrets the, He's not looking for, I think, personal power for any reason other than to protect his family. That's my guess. I would like that, but they didn't ask me to write the show, so uh, who knows. Um, anything else for you guys that's like standing out as like a super positive that you're really excited for? One thing and that I found particularly interesting, and this is just me being a combat nerd, um, but I thought the lightsaber duel style uh, in, in the various scenes was particularly interesting. Our Sith friends and Sabine use a very broadsword-esque original trilogy mm-hmm. fighting style. Mm-hmm. Um, while our Inquisitor and Ahsoka stay pretty true to the prequel Clone Wars era style, um, where it's a lot more choreographed and fancy and kind of showing off in a, in a way. Um, I'm not sure if this was intentional or if there's a particular character reasoning behind all of this, um, but just as a Star Wars combat nerd, I found it very, very interesting in general, and we'll be keeping an eye out for some of those choices in the future episodes. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see Merrick, the Sith Inquisitor, what their background is. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if they were a Jedi who was trained during the Clone Wars, or if it's somebody we've seen before. We, it, the person's referred to as a he, so it's probably not going to be... Um, oh my gosh, 
Barisoffi. Like, Thank you. It's probably not going to be Barisoffi. <laughs> I, I talk about Barisoffi in every other video, and I'm like, <laughs> blank on Barisoffi's name. What, Megan? I had a write-up. He's about the America theories last night. So, um, yeah, my I personally think it might be Ezra Bridger, but I that's just my that, look. That actually brings me to my favorite part of this video, which is wild, crazy theory time. Um, yeah, I think my. I, I sort of like the theory that Merrick could be Ezra Bridger just because it would seem to echo. I mean, it set up a moment in live action similar to when in the animated series um, Sabine realizes that Vader is Anakin, but it would do mm -hmm. that for Sabine potentially. And I think that would be a really nice, you know, like poetry, it rhymes, um, <laughs> to quote George Lucas. No, I agree with that. I, th I think that would echo a lot of what we've seen previously in Rebels with these characters and. Um, Dave Filoni does like to steal from his own material. We, we've seen it um, not only in this, but but in, in the other shows as well. So um, I definitely think that's a possibility. I <laughs> just based on the other shows, are we going to get two episodes that take place with characters from the other shows? Who knows? Like that's that's. Are we going to get a Mando crossover in this? Are we going to get a Boba, you know, crossover in this in, in some capacity? That that kind of seems to be a thing they like to do. Well, that was a lot of fun. Megan, where can the people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter slash X, Blue Sky, Instagram, at MegsOK, or read my articles at Decider.com. And Heather, where can the people find you? You can find me at, at Heather Antos on all of the things and in your favorite comic books. And thanks again to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this video. Just a reminder to scan the QR code on screen right now and use the code ScreenCrush for $5 off your variety pack or go to magicspoon.com slash ScreenCrush today to try out their limited edition flavors, oatmeal cookie and chocolate chip cookie. Guys, we want to hear from all of you. What are your thoughts on this? Let us know down in the comments below or at me on Twitter. And if it's your first time here, please subscribe, smash that bell for alerts. For ScreenCrush, I'm Ryan Airy.